The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Well, I'm humbled to be here among you again, and uh, I hope that uh, I don't have to uh, disappoint by pointing you to Jesus Christ and to his word, and I hope I don't come across as an old fart. Uh, That was one of the compliments I did a conference with a Korean friend for a bunch of uh, Korean and Southeast Asians, and one of the gals was at lunch and said, you know, when you came here, I just assumed you were going to be an old fart, but you're actually okay. So (laughs) that's one of my highlights of my life, okay. (laughs) Well, um, again, uh, especially if you're pastors or others uh, want doctoral work, please come study with me. We just graduated. We have a brother here out in Kansas. Actually, there's somebody from Kansas here. You want to stand up, Blake? Look, look, look. There are, okay. Uh, the red states are represented here. Uh, the heart of America, the corn huskers, except, oh, no, that's Nebraska, okay. Uh, well, I was looking for a flashy title, you know, because this is Saturday morning, and, and look, most of the people have left, and everybody's thinking of going home. I know that. Uh, we have to go catch a plane today and go home. So it was really, originally, the original title was going to be uh, The Confession of a Nuthetic Nutcase. <laughs> but even for me, I thought that was over the top and it would be just too much. So I'm going with something much, much milder. The Confessions of a Biblical Counselor, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So uh, that's what I want to do. Now, you know, this is where this comes from, right? This dates me. Uh, Brian Borden was talking about, gee, as young people look at him and think like all his illustrations are old. Mine are older yet, okay? You know what the spaghetti westerns were, right? The Italians, Giorgio Scipione, okay? Uh, The Italians made these spaghetti westerns back in the 60s. And first one was called A Fistful of Dollars in 64, and then a uh, A Few Dollars More in 65, and then the one that most everybody remembers, The Good, The Bad, and The... Da 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 da, dun, dun. you know, you know the theme song, okay? It's 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 part of Americana, okay? Uh, now, '67 was a significant year, a lot of reasons. I actually graduated from college, which was a slight miracle, uh, considering my study habits. And at the point, I wasn't even a Christian. I thought I was, but wasn't. Got into seminary, and just as an aside, I won't go into long detail. I got converted in seminary was the doctrines of grace and biblical counseling and seeing Jay Adams and people transform incestuous families put back together again by the power of God. And I thought, wow, this is real. And uh, Chuck Smith calls them cemeteries, but I got raised from the dead in one, so I'm eternally grateful <clears throat> having going to seminary. Okay, now back to the good, bad, and the ugly, okay? I'm going to talk about the good in the uh, biblical counseling movement, the bad, and, and the ugly's me, okay, my sins. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, when I get there, I'll tell you why. I'm not going to deal with other people's sin. Now, in the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, you had uh, the good, which is Blondie, Clint Eastwood, okay, and uh, the bad, Angel Eyes, who was uh, Lee Van Cleef, and uh, the ugly was Turco, Ellie Wallach. Okay, it's a catchy title, and just the categories, we're going to go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Obviously, I, I see, you know, I, IBCD kind of thinks I'm old as dirt, you know, because that's why they have me here, okay? And I am, as far as the biblical counseling dirt is concerned. Uh, when I was trained at Westminster Seminary, competent to counsel wasn't even written. Didn't exist. The only thing that existed was Jay Adams counseling and us sitting in by two and observing him counseling and then discussing it over supper. I'm not bitter or anything. I ate so many, you know, uh, quarter pounders with cheese. <clears throat> I liked Arby's, but I wasn't in the lead, so <clears throat> we always ate, you know, uh, Big Macs, okay? Uh, quarter pounders with cheese, since that was the fare, okay? And <clears throat> talk through these cases. <clears throat> Competent, the counsel then became a mimeograph. I, I, I don't even want to go into that technologically. Most of you don't know what a... But you could get high sniffing the pages uh, on the mimeograph, but uh, it was sort of purple print, okay? Uh, Purple prose, maybe that's where it came from, okay? 
Uh, so I was there then, okay? And it's when Jay Adams was used by God, you know, to, to stir up a comatose, sleepy, evangelical, a fundamentalist community to the power of the Word of God. Now, you have to understand the historical context. Most people don't, and I won't go uh, too deeply into it. But this was the days in the Battle of the Bible. Most of you are too young for that. The battle for the Bible has almost been lost, you know, culturally. The bottom line was people didn't believe in an infallible, inerrant, and certainly not a sufficient Bible. And the biblical counseling movement, if you remember, nothing else that I say is significant because of that. It's one of those little subgroups left in a believing church that's fighting for what? The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is still able to convert and to cleanse and to conform people into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the tool that God uses. Uh, everyone knows that. Even the, uh, the lead integrationist group, the AACC, American Association of Christian Counselors, which doesn't agree, say, with what we do, um, they even awarded Jay Adams an award. <clears throat> and actually, it's my fault that he went because he says, hey, they don't agree with me, I don't agree with them. Why should I go and accept the reward? He says, if I go, I'm going to have to tell them, you know, what I think is biblical. I said, Jay, they'd be disappointed if you didn't do that. So a lot of people in the biblical counseling movement, read, read that little article uh, that he gave his acceptance speech for that award. And the reward was, even though we don't agree with you, you woke up the church to the need for discipleship and counseling, Okay. And some people think that that was an ungracious speech. I think that's one of the most brilliant little pieces of uh, speech in the face of hostile audience, an audience that doesn't agree with you. It's a brilliant little piece. Well, um, so I'm here to kind of talk about um, my sins primarily because Craig lived with me for two weeks while he was doing his demon with me last year. He's going to live with me again. He's coming back again, I guess. We must have fed him the right stuff. Uh, he's going to live with me, and he says, oh, Skip, your sins are so great that it would be wonderful for you to confess them before everybody, and then they will be able to avoid them. So that's why I'm here, okay? And I realize that. Okay? Now, before we jump into my sins and, and the good, bad, and the ugly, uh, let me just reflect for a, few, a very few seconds. Is it important to remember history? Is it important to remember history? Okay. Is this just a, uh, a nice exercise for a pre-demented, uh, my mom died of Alzheimer's, so I think that's the way I'm going to go. I've got all other physical problems, so probably I'll get Alzheimer's too. Uh, but the bottom line is, is this just a, uh, an exercise for a pre-demented old man to kind of reflect back like the two, you know, the two guys you know, in the Muppets? <laughs> okay. No, I don't think so. For, but think about this. And most of you are old enough. I mean, a lot of you are young, but some of us are older. Look, for most Americans, most postmodern Americans, right, five years ago is ancient history, right? If you're, a, if you're a 19-year-old, you can't even relate to 13-year-olds anymore, you know, because of the culture turns things over so quickly. And so, so everything, ancient history is bonanza. You know, you know, or Star Wars. I mean, that's ancient history. You know, we're we're up with the. It is important. Okay, there was a Spanish philosopher, Jorge um, Agustin Ruiz de Santayana y Boros. Okay, uh, pardon the Spanish speakers if I didn't get it right. He said this: Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And brothers and sisters. Uh, the history of the church in the United States over the last 150 years, we need to remember what's happened because I really believe what's happening today in evangelical, fundamentalist, reform circles, whatever, charismatic circles is what? It's the old liberalism coming back in a different form. That's, that's all it is. We can't, we can't even get Genesis straight anymore. Okay? And, and the Bible is full of this. More to the point, remembering history is a, is a responsibility, a core responsibility for the believer of God. God's people in the Old and New Covenant are supposed to remember. Think of it with me. Christianity is tied to what? We, we sang these, right? Gospels. 
We sang them. It's tied to what? Time and space history. The living God, the Son of God, the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world. That was a historic event. And if you ever forget the cross, you're done. Literally, eternal toast. You must remember history. There was a creation. There was a historical Adam and Eve. BioLogos is wrong. And everybody else that's messing with that is wrong. You could have seen them there. There was a man. There was a woman. There was a snake. That's what I want to ask too. What is this? You know, Narnia? What are you talking to a snake for? I mean, I, I'm serious. I don't understand. God will explain that to me maybe someday. But what are you talking to a snake? You've talked to the living God, the incarnate the pre-incarnate Christ walking in the garden. I think he walked with them. He talked with them. They had fellowship with them. And they listened to a stupid snake, a wicked snake. That happened. That's time and space history. Chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis are time and space history. They are not just a framework or a poetic setting. I don't care who's angry with me for that. Okay? Um, uh, the Pentateuch is full of this. Moses, just take about 40 minutes sometime today and read the first 11 chapters of, or so of, of Deuteronomy. It's a sermon. By the way, you preachers think about that. There's a sermon. Uh, Moses is preaching a warm-up sermon to the reissuing of the law. And what's he do? He goes through what? History. Remember, this is what you guys did. This is what happened. This is what I did. And that's why I'm not going into the, into the land. Okay. Deuteronomy 1 through 11 is history. Uh, look at the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is rested in history. At least the first giving of it. And the second giving too. The first giving is what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because God created the world in six days. He spoke it into existence. Deuteronomy 5, the reissuing. Remember what? You were... How's it switch? You were slaves and I redeemed you with a strong arm. All history. Time and space history. Uh, the historical books, I mean, obviously they're historical. You know, they record time and space history. The prophets have a lot of uh, history in their preaching. In fact, in the Old Testament, the whole sabbatical system was revolved around Passover, Pentecost, you know, the whole thing. Now, get to the New Covenant, where we are, right? We don't have it. <clears throat> Let's say there's a communion table. Some, uh, I don't forget which of the speakers was mentioning that. Was it Brian? or Do this and remember. No, it was, it was, I think it was uh, Steve. Do this in remembrance of every time you eat, every time you take that bread. It's supposed to be unleavened bread in Pesach, La Pesach. Why? It's during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why? Because leaven at that point represents sin and there's not to be any sin. It's the sinless body of Jesus Christ that is your righteousness. And it is the blood over the doorpost that keeps you alive. That's all history. And now, in the New Covenant, do this in remembrance of me. So history is there. Acts, we just go through the whole thing. So obviously, I won't go in great detail. I did a workshop a couple of years ago, 2012. Uh, here, you can probably get it online in terms of the history of the biblical counseling movement. And I'm just going to touch some of it today uh, for you. So uh, we'll take a quick overview. And again, remember, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, what is the good? Here's 10 things that I think the biblical counseling movement has done that I think we should really remember and rejoice in. One, we are on the correct side of the inerrancy, infallibility issue versus liberalism and neo-orthodoxy. Okay? If you're a Presbyterian, you can say amen too. I know the Baptists are very quiet, you know, and others. But the bottom line is, okay, is the Bible... Got mistakes in it? No. Okay. I don't understand this. There are even good theologians who make stupid statements like, well, the Holy Spirit tells you stuff, but it's not infallible. 
What? I, I can shank a shot. I shank a lot. I don't play golf. You know, golf's so frustrating. I never play it. But you know, uh, I I shank shots all the time. But I never heard the Holy Spirit could shank one. This is pure gold. It's refined seven times over. We know that. I don't have to probably convince most of you of that. But but that's that's a key battle. There is no sure word in this world. Not CNN, not Fox, nobody. There's no sure word except this word. And it's infallible and inerrant. And, and the biblical counseling movement has always stood on that, and that's A+. And that's important. And, and the, the men have been saying this in the plenaries and the workshops. That's, that's your tool. Thus saith the Lord. You can actually say that. You don't have to be ordained even to do that. The Bible says it. That's it. I grew up with a, a little Baptist church, and uh, it had this sign. Maybe some of you saw it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. How many of you ever saw that before? Okay. I, I got a new one. Drop that middle one out. God said it. That settles it. <laughs> God doesn't need my amen. Okay? You know? People always say, God and you are majority. That's a majority. He doesn't need me. Okay? He's absolutely right. That's the first thing. The second uh, good point, the good in the, in the biblical counseling movement is that the Bible always has absolute authority over general revelation and uh, what some people call common grace or general benevolence, the thing that people can learn. Okay? Non-Christians learn things. They get people to the moon and back, but they never get people to Jesus and back. They can calculate how to uh, fix your car, but they can't fix your heart. Yeah. And, and so a lot of times people have accused the biblical counseling movement of being, you know, just a biblicist and sticking your head in the ground. <clears throat> That's not true. But the point of the matter is the biblical counseling movement has always been smart, <clears throat> street smart to say, God knows everything and the rest of us don't. And there's a big difference between the two of those. And if we're going to have one as apples, the others are oranges. And, and God's apples always beat our oranges. Okay? Because the Bible is infallible and inerrant, and its authority is even over all this other stuff. Right? Why? Because we can make mistakes, right? This is what I always, always wonder about this. Science. See, I'm old enough. Most of you don't remember this. 30-some years ago, they say, Skip, don't eat butter. It'll clog your arteries. It'll kill you. So eat margarine. What are they telling me now? Don't eat margarine because it's got triglyceride, whatever it is, it's going to kill you. Go eat butter. That's science. <clears throat> now, I'm grateful for it. I have two lens implants because of my asthma, you know, taking... Uh, Predazone through the years. I'm on predazone now, or probably wouldn't have made it through these two weeks. But you know, I got, I got in my 40s. Doctor, I said, I think I have cataracts. He says, You're too young. He looks at my eyes. He says, You have cataracts. I said, Doc, I know. I look through them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very grateful, you know, for for science and medicine. But but the bottom line is, it's not on the same level. It's net. Science is always cumulative and tentative. I'll give you another quick example, and you know this one. Just watch your TV ads. Cymbalta. Yeah. And then by the time you go through all the things that Cymbalta can do to you, you go, God, kill me with the disease. <laughs> please, please, I think, I think the cure's worse than the... And some of us go through that, right? Uh, some of well, we're grateful. We're grateful, but uh, I had a brother-in-law. He went through stomach cancer, and you know, and uh, he went through all the operations. Still died, okay. and uh, all the the treatments. We love science, but it's not infallible. Third thing, the sufficiency and superiority are the Scripture versus, and this is not to be mean to anybody, but Roman Catholics, uh, cults, and an extreme, you know, radical charismatics. What is 
Think about this, and I don't know, I mean, Ermie, you can tell me if I'm right on this, because you teach theology as well in, in Borgman. What's the definition of a cult? The Bible plus some other, you know, supposed authority and continuing revelation. I mean, that, is, isn't that Mormonism? Isn't that Jehovah's Witnesses? Isn't that the Roman Catholic Church, you know, uh, with uh, the Pope, you know, and council? That's, that's, and, and in the biblical counseling movement, <clears throat> to be honest, the biblical counseling movement is utterly Protestant in the good sense. What did the Protestant Reformation say? Scripture alone, Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, hallelujah, that's the gospel. And that's what the, what the biblical counseling movement is standing on and everybody else is really fudging. Really it is. It's, it, today in evangelical circles, it's the Bible plus science or psychology or something else <clears throat> plus radical, you know, somebody told me to marry you or whatever. Hey, God didn't tell me, so I'm sorry. You're not Lord of my life. You see, that, the biblical counseling movement, let's face it, it's kind of dull, stodgy in the sense of, this is it. This is it. And talk, talk about being David's in the midst of a scared church. We're going, God killed the bear. God killed the lion with this word. He'll kill uh, the, the giants out there today. It's the word of God, okay? Uh, fourth thing that I think is always good. This is a little more minor, but uh, the biblical counseling movement has always emphasized whole families. I can't ever remember a day uh, with Jay Adams or, or John Bettler or the others counseling early on that they didn't try to get everybody in the room. You know, and people think that's radical, you know, family systems therapy or whatever, but, you know, you know, we've always been dealing with families, and I think that's a strong point in the biblical counseling movement. A fifth thing, valid, genuine biblical ecumenism. Uh, in other words, we do have Bible uh, churches and Baptists and Presbyterians and others working together. For why? Because we know that we're rare birds, and, you know, if we don't stick together, we're going to hang separately. As a non-Christian once said, I think it was Franklin said, we'll either hang together or we'll hang separately. You know, uh, as they face the, the Brits, you know, trying to force their will on them. Uh, I, I think that this is so, so... Um, I got criticized <coughs> once. I, I just tell you some side story. Ah, oh, <coughs> Scipione, you're really not reformed. I said, why? Well, I'm not reformed. Well, look where you go. I said, well, yeah, I know you think I'm obnoxious, and I am, but isn't it interesting? I can walk into some Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, dispensational churches, everything else, and I just teach the Word of God, and, and it flies. Well, that just proves that you're really... Okay. <clears throat> and that's, that's really been the genius of the movement. It's really brought people together, even though we disagree, we pray together, we work together. And so I think that's been a strength. Uh, another one, valid member, every member ministry versus professionalism. And I think that's a big one. <clears throat> I preached once the forgotten omnis of the, of the Reformation at a Reformation service. Everybody talks about the five solas, but there's the all. All are prophet, priests, and kings. All have a calling from God. And I think the biblical counseling movement has really helped the church say, and a lot of you are not ordained, nor, nor should be. But the bottom line is you have gifts for ministry, and they ought to be. And that's the beauty of the care and discipleship of trying to perk this down and say we've said this for years and years and years. Everybody should be able to help everybody else, at least to some level. But where is it? And th let's face it. In some circles, and, and I won't even mention them because I'll get in trouble, okay? We are really more... Roman Catholic than Protestant. Because all grace flows through the pastor. Right? Can I be honest? Honest? If you're in the hospital and pastor doesn't come and visit you, you feel like you've been ripped off. Right? No, come on. That's the truth. 
my first congregation, I, I had to get admit that there were probably 20 people that they'd rather see than me in the hospital because I was kind of like, repent and believe, God, trust God, you know, and you have all the, you know them, there's these wonderful ladies and saints in the church that they come and you're just so happy because they're there, right? You know people like that. You go to church and you just, oh, I hope they come up, and they will. They come up and they love on you and you're just so happy to be there. There's the pastor, uh-oh. Yeah. But, but most, most, evangelical churches really work like that. And then we get a hierarchy of staff. I'm not against staff or whatever. But you see my point? The biblical council movement says, each one of you is a prophet, priest, and king, and you can take the word of God and you can minister to others. A parent to a child, a child to a parent. This is every member uh, ministry at the best. And, and I, I, again, I, I say this not because I've been paid to say this, but I think... I, Get me out of the way, and things have started to grow. Okay? Craig is really getting this to where people have much more practical tools. Jim said it years ago. Skip, your stuff's good, but most people won't go through all this. We'll never get them certified. So let's change the process, and it's been changing ever since, and now it's accessible to you, and that, I think, has been a benefit uh, for us. Uh, another one, prophetic stance versus compromise. That goes back to the infallibility of the Bible. No matter what you think, and, and I say this, okay, I don't worship Jay Adams, but I want to tell you something. That was a time of prophetic ministry. I want to tell you something. Church was dying and did not believe the Bible, and it was prophetic, and it's been prophetic to this day. <clears throat> we stand as watchmen, <clears throat> watchmen on the wall, saying, look at the dangers that are coming, the Bible and the Holy Spirit the church are sufficient. We have to depend on God's resources, not on man's resources. And I think that that's one of the blessings of the biblical counseling movement that we're really saying, maybe not always gracious, especially me, not as graciously as we should, but look, you're compromising. You're compromising. The, it's Jesus <clears throat> plus something else. And let's be honest. The evangelical church believes that. It's Jesus plus medicine. I'm not against medicine, but it's Jesus plus medicine or Jesus plus a psychologist. We really don't believe in the resurrection power of God. Okay? We really don't believe that. Now, again, that resurrection power isn't always, boom, you know, over a period of time, progressive sanctification. And, 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 but, but the prophetic stance versus compromise in an age of drift <laughs> and beloved you young people especially are experiencing it. Unless God pours out revival on this nation, this nation will die. The world's changing. Uh, as an example, pick on someone else because I'm going to go to Europe. There's not going to be a Spain anymore or an Italy or a France or a Portugal. Now, again, I'm not a racist in any way, shape, or form. But the point is people can't continue unless they reproduce. People are not being fruitful and multiplying. So what the Muslims could not do by going through Africa and then coming up, Charles the Hammer pushes them out. What they couldn't do in Vienna, they're going to do by procreation. Because they're, they're moving into the European countries. They're having six to eight kids. They want to have Sharia law. And that's not something that we should be indifferent. Can't do it by law. Can't do it by swords. It's got to be the gospel. But I want to tell you right now, if you think it's okay to live under Sharia law, you haven't been around the world. And uh, the feminists can complain all they want bitterly, but the bottom line is it's way better in America than a lot of other places, and that's because of the gospel. It is the gospel that have elevated women, not other things. Anyway, I need to move on. Another one, exegetical and application-oriented as opposed to ivory tower. <clears throat> That's one of the strengths of the biblical... And I think you've seen it here. This stuff's usable, isn't it? You think, hey, this will fly. I can actually use this. And, and that's a strength of the biblical counseling movement. Now, again, think about this. Competent counsel is a mimeogram. That's all. Look at the table back there. <clears throat> look, look at all that stuff. Look at it. You know, some people can write, I can't, so others write, okay? But, you know, Jim writes, okay? Elise writes, uh, Adams writes, Max, Irick, uh, you've got the Peace, 
uh, you've got uh, uh, Stuart Scott, Lou Priolo, Tripp, Welsh, Pallison, you know, Vire. You guys are spoiled. Where's all the help when I did? I had to sit on a step in the middle of the night saying to Jay, what did you get me into? <laughs> I don't know. What am I going to tell these people? I'm just a new Christian. I hardly even know my Bible. I, you know, and he would, he would walk me through that. I can still remember that you know, in Hatboro, Pennsylvania. Exegetical and application-oriented as opposed to the ivory tower. And that's always been one of the strengths. And that's been a fight. Um, I believe in seminaries. I've taught in many. Uh, but boy, oh boy, the biblical counseling movement puts the rubber where the road is. Okay? So remember that. Uh, impact on institutions, churches. Uh, Westminster Philly, uh, here in California, the Master's College uh, and Seminary, uh, SBC, Southern, Southeastern, Southwestern, Midwestern Baptist, uh, uh, some small micro uh, Presbyterian seminaries that I teach at, okay? Uh, micro brews. Uh, it's, it's all over the place. Little guys, big guys, and everybody in between. Most people have never heard of RPTS where I teach or Greenville where I taught, but they've heard of the Masters. You know, they've heard, they've heard of the... God's moving, and, and that's a tremendous thing. That's a tremendous thing, okay? And uh, again, I, as I mentioned, these bodies will work. Well, that's the good, okay? All those things, and I can mention many more, okay? Many more. Uh, and, and I will tell you, the fellowship has been great in the biblical counseling movement. I've often said this. I am closer to the guys at Masters and some other guys in the biblical counseling movement like Jim than I am to guys in my own denomination. Because we are thinking along the same lines. Okay, that's the good. What's the bad? Real quickly, uh, fewer, okay? Because I've got to get to my sins before I leave, okay? Um, the bad, too great an emphasis on individual responsibility, I think, to the neglect of the interface of the individual with the family, church, and state. Now, we haven't totally ignored that because we get families in, we work with them. Now we're working with pastors. But, but these whole other... You know, it's not just individual or families, okay? And that's the blessing, again, of care and discipleship. It's making it accessible to other churches. But, you know, I have seen this again and again. Somebody becomes very biblical. I can mention names, and I won't. And I train them. They become biblical. I'll pick one, a woman, okay? And she starts teaching women. And this is what happens at church. All the women start looking down the pew at her because they're going, what that guy's preaching doesn't line up with what you're saying. Okay? And uh, some people have talked about that, but we, we need to give more uh, attention of how do you help and love pastors who are not on board uh, with this. Uh, how, and again, uh, we've had some seminars in the national organization, NANC and now ACBC, uh, legal issues, they're going to come. They're going to come. Grace Church got you know, sued. We were down at Chula Vista. We got sued for $5 million. That's a very interesting experience. I won't tell you all the details, but uh, you know, we need to be ready for that stuff. Okay. Uh, so I think more work needs to be done on that. A second thing that I think where, where we've been weak is a parachurch models versus local church models. And it's not casting stones. I love the guys. I was on the board for, for years at CCF, but I used to say to them, guys, you walk like a duck, you fly like a duck, you quack like a duck, you're going to get sued like a duck. Quack, 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 <laughs> they get sued, okay? Why? Because, again, and, and this is just criticism myself and Jay, at the beginning, we were so anxious to try to get this going and, and, and help people that we didn't think through all the implications. And so there are a lot of organizations that are parachurch or non-church, and I think that's a weakness. Again, it's not a, a damning weakness, but I think it's something uh, where, again, you've got Faith Church or you've got here at Grace Church or when we were here uh, uh, versus, say, a, a large organization like CCF or some of the other organizations. Again, not throwing stones at them. 
but the inconsistency in the biblical counseling movement you know, creates uh, confusion. And, of course, we've been gracious about it. We're not saying people are heretics or anything like, well, the Bobgans did, but they're, they're out of the movement anyway. Uh, bottom line, the bottom line is, I think we need to think those things through. Is this a ministry of the word, or is it a professional medical model? See, that, it's not just the content, it's the delivery system. And I think that's very, very significant. That's a weakness at times. Uh, a third one is, again, the professional medical model versus the pastoral model. A fourth one, and, and I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I just bear my heart to you. We made a mistake, in my opinion, at the beginning by being weak theologically. Uh, I can tell you the history, I won't go into details. We took the National Associations of Evangelicals Statement of Faith for the Biblical Counseling Movement. It's too minimal. As my wife has taught me through the years to say, in my not-so-humble opinion, uh, <clears throat> that is a document that even a Roman Catholic could possibly sign. And so even justification isn't clear. And, and it's been good in the sense of helping us to cooperate but on the other hand, it's created problems. It's created problems of, okay, if you're a good counselor, but you go to a church that is liberal, what do we do? You know, you're a good counselor, but do we want you to sit under that guy or gal's preaching? See, so there, there are issues, and, and that's, I think, uh, the minimal doctrinal standards as opposed to rigorous confessional standards. And you don't have to have my confession, but you know, I really will hope that somebody out here who's a budding theologian will write a confession of faith for biblical counseling. You know, like the 1689 or the Westminster. Somebody got standards to be able to say, okay, sorry, I mean, we don't hate you, but you got, you got to hold to this. Because if you don't hold to this... And all of you have that, right? In your church. You have minimal standards in your church. So if someone doesn't adhere to them, you can't be a member. So we need to think that through. Uh, uh, one or two more. Um, the exaltation of every member ministry, I said that was a strength, to the neglect of ordained officers and their authority. See, it goes both ways. I think there has been such an emphasis at times for everybody can minister that there's a lack of respect for the ordained office. And I'm not talking about Episcopalian versus Presbyterian versus... I'm just saying, ordained officers, they have authority. Can I get an amen, at least from a pastor? <laughs> and and this, becomes, this becomes a problem. And of course, people thought Jay was schizophrenic. He says, well, everybody can counsel, but the pastor is God's professional. Well, what's the problem with that? You know, there are shepherds. You know, and I think you can see it. You get a Brian Borgman or someone that's preaching all the time. And... There's a, you know, not to pick on you, brother, but, you know, there's a richness to his, his presentation and his teaching. And, and, you know, yeah, women can help women, but boy, oh boy, the pastor's not chump change. He really isn't. And that's probably what you pay him. Most pastors get paid chump change. Okay. Actually, when you work for a Christian organization, I figured the way it works is they take the tithe out before they give it to you. <laughs> Especially if you're working at a Christian school, okay, so... So praise God, they're, they're getting uh, uh, ramped up to, to pay uh, our dear brother Craig so he can live, you know, on his own, okay? Um, okay, uh, one or two more again. Independency versus mutual accountability. And again, I won't go into other people's sins, uh, but the, the bottom line is this. As much, and I've often said this, and this is true for any church, but the biblical counseling movement as well, we really are not that good at solving our own problems. Uh, we go off in our corner and lick our wounds and we talk about other people or whatever as, instead of coming and hammering it out. Um, I just think that there's been overcorrection and isolation, okay? <clears throat> and I can use myself as an example. At times, you know, somebody will criticize me or say, you're not doing this. I, I used to have this over here when I taught at the seminary. You know, I'd weep after class, sometimes in class, and go, you just said to me, I'm not preaching Christ. 
if what I just did for an hour wasn't presenting Christ in his fullness, not only should I not be teaching, I shouldn't even be ordained. Now, what happens when that criticism comes? Okay, I'm probably a bucket, probably a bucket four guy mostly. <laughs> but on my better days, I'm a bucket two guy, okay? Okay, I'm a bucket case, whatever it is, okay? <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, you overreact, and I'm going to mention this, okay? And you can overreact in one of two ways, and I've done both. You can go on the attack, or you can withdraw. Okay? And in earlier years, I'll get to that, I would go on the attack, but now I usually withdraw because I don't like to fight anymore. Okay? Again, academic models to the neglect of pastoral model. And then, um, again, okay. so that's the, that's the good and the bad, now the ugly. Okay? And maybe we can even finish up on time or a little early. And here, I'm going to take this approach. I mentioned this when we went through 1 Peter. It's kind of amazing to me. I think, I think most of us can relate to Peter, right? John MacArthur Jr. calls him the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Because he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, okay? And uh, here's Peter, right? He's denied the Lord three times. Someday if I ever come back, I want to do a seminar on, on John 21, how to restore a fallen saint. So here he is. Hey, hey, let's go for a walk, Peter. <coughs> Remember, Peter's already in the boat, and he's fishing, and, and hey, got any fish, guys? Oh, no. No, this is a good one. Just cast the net on the other side of the boat. Now, how wide is the boat? Come on. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, they come up with what? Now, this is an eyewitness account. 153, Peter's count, 153 large fish. The nets don't break, and, and then John kind of goes, Jesus. Now, why did the Lord do that? Brilliant. This is a foretaste. Okay, brilliant. When did he call Peter? When Peter says, what? What? We've been fishing all night. There are no fish out there. I can see him. I know Peter. You're a carpenter. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me about fish? Well, because it's you, Lord, we'll go fish, right? Remember? And what happened then? Huge catch of fish. He's into knee deep and he kind of goes, depart from me, Lord. I get the picture. I badmouthed you. So he does the same thing to reissue their apostolic thing. He restores them. Do you love me more than these other guys? Well, you know I like you. Well, do you like me? Do you love me? Well, I don't even compare it to the other guys now. Remember the other guys you said, you third time, I'm grieved because... Because you said, do you even have affection for me? So what does he immediately do? This is the point. He turns and what's he say to Jesus? After Jesus restored him, what's he say? He says, by the way, you're going to get your martyrdom. Remember John said, you know, when you were young, you dressed yourself. I must still be young. I can dress myself at least. Okay? You're going to put your arms out. Somebody's going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go signifying what kind of death he was going to glorify God by. And then immediately when Peter turns around, he says, what about John? It's a good thing the Lord's the Lord, because I would have smacked him. <laughs> Peter, mind your own suffering. And I'm taking that tact. I'm not going to talk about every other, other people's sin, my sins. What can you learn from me? Okay? Scipione teaching methodology. Avoid these sins. You'll be ahead of the curve. Okay. First of all, obviously, as it's anyone that knows me, not as gentle as I should be. Second Timothy 2, you know, 22. The man of God must be what? Gentle. Able to exhort those who contradict so God might grant them the gift of repentance unto life. Big mistake. When I went to my first pastorate, I would have died for those people. I loved those people. But they didn't know that. Why? Because I wasn't gentle. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be gentle with everyone. And I told you in the panel yesterday, there's been times when I've had to say to people, 
You wanted a fight, I gave it to you. I didn't do it in a very godly way. Not as gentle or kind. Fighting for the truth, fighting for the truth. And no one will know how hard it was in those early days to fight for the truth. People thought we were madmen. Literally, we thought we <coughs> were madmen. And a friend had to teach me recently, it's a great saying, write it down. Skip, remember, a question probes the conscience. An accusation hardens the will. There have been too many times, well, I've been accurate, it's an accusation, but uh, no time for the person to process. The second thing that you have to learn from me, don't sacrifice your family. Taught against it, said it's wrong, but did it. I exposed my family. I, I'll tell you, when I got converted, <clears throat> I believed that anybody could be converted. I still do. And we've had people out of mental institutions, people out of jail. Uh, you name it, we've had them live with us. And so those people not only stole from us, probably molested kids. I'm here to say, in your sincerity to serve Christ, don't be stupid. Because God does not always protect you from your own stupidity. Doesn't matter that my, it was sincere. I exposed my dear wife and my kids to things that they should not be exposed to. Guys with loaded revolvers that were going to blow people away. <coughs> people who are uh, just off the wall. Okay? Uh, third, priorities. We all know this and say this, but there are times when you can put the ministry above Christ. We often pray, Lord, give us the heart of Mary in the midst of a Martha schedule. Because, you know, uh, you get eaten up. And when things go wrong, you try to salvage them. And, of course, the priorities we know them is the Lord first, family second, church third. But to guard that, please, please guard that. A fourth thing that you can learn. And, and I think this is very subtle, and it's been subtle in my life, or maybe not so subtle. Sometimes we can put the second table over the first table of the law. What's the first great commandment? Love God with all that you have and your neighbors yourself. And sometimes I think I have fallen into, and maybe you fall into being a Christian humanist, where we so want to help people we so desire to see them have what we have that we really neglect the Lord. And the bottom line is, I, I think the Lord gave it for that purpose and the Lord nailed it when he summarized the law. God comes first, then other people, then yourself. Joy, J Jesus, others, and you. You've heard that little anachronism. It's true. You've got, you've got to keep your priorities straight. God first, and, 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 and when we become problem-centered instead of Christ-centered, or I should even say triune God-centered, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get, we get oriented toward the problem and the person, and then we are dangerous of being the Savior. See, it's nice to be a priest, you know, because people come to you, you know. Be honest, right? Aren't some of our perks, oh, you're so loving, you know? Okay, the bottom line, okay. Uh, prayer. If you remember nothing else, remember this one, prayer. This is, the, this is the base of everything. I've structured my life around prayer. I still do that, but I don't pray enough. I've allowed other things to get in the way of falling on my face before the living God and crying out to him. And no wonder I don't have uh, as much fruit as I could. I need to be more like Jacob. I won't let you go until you bless me. So I limp the rest of my life. So what? <clears throat> I have God's blessing. I'm Israel now. I've wrestled with God and prevailed. And I cannot say strongly enough, uh, prayer. And uh, we all say it, but uh, that's also, maybe this goes back up in the, the bad. Um, I haven't heard a lot of seminars on prayer, even at biblical counseling conferences. It's a, it's, a, it's a much neglected subject and practice, okay? Very quickly, 
and for me, uh, <clears throat> uh, too easily discouraged. I need a cartoon drew, and you can't walk around with your head in your navel. You walk into walls, okay? <clears throat> but uh, every pastor that I know, actually, I, uh, at one point I wasn't taking a Sabbath rest. I wasn't doing what the Lord wanted me to. I almost got ulcers in my first pastorate. And the guy looked at me, and he says, Doctor, I think you're getting ulcers. He says, are you under stress? And I started laughing. He says, why are you laughing? He says, I'm a pastor. And that's the definition of stress, okay? <clears throat> but you're working 80 hours, okay, and running scared, <clears throat> and it's easy to become discouraged. There's enough sin <clears throat> in my life to discourage me forever to keep me <clears throat> from doing what I need to do. And then the final thing, <clears throat> for you old dudes like me, <clears throat> Don't run out of steam. If I was too feisty as a young guy, <clears throat> I've seen <clears throat> cases now where even dear friends I back off of <clears throat> because I don't want to get in a fight. I, don't, I, I do not want to get in a fight or hassle with anyone. Okay? So here are the two passages I'll leave you with as we end. Philippians 3. These are the things that have, have buoyed me up. God is my witness and giving me a great wife. That's... that's the things that's kept me going. Philippians 3. What? Forgetting the things that are behind. I press on. I haven't already achieved it. Uh, I can't do anything about the past. You can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. You only have one day at a time. Focus on Christ. Serve Him today. Forget what's behind. Press on toward that mark. And when you fail, here's the biggie. This is the final one. First, John chapter 3. Even when my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. And He knows all things. And that's the way you quiet a conscience that pulls you back at times to your failures. And I won't go into my failures in the family and the church and everything else but, you know, God is my witness. God, you know, you know <clears throat> that I have affection for you. Go feed my sheep. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, the good, the bad, the ugly, <clears throat> we come to you. <clears throat> You're the good. You are the great. You are the God. We are the ugly ones. But in Christ, You've come to us. And as uh, one brother said, we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Fallen, fallible, but Lord, Your Word abides forever and the Holy Spirit uses us. So Lord, we're humbled to be before You and pray, use us as You will, but please, Lord, glorify Yourself through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.